What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Guy Dami, Bono and Eisen, and Steve Grasso. Ahead on fast stocks finish at the lows of the day. The major average is all down over a percent. Oil surging again with WTI back to nearly 115 a barrel. The 10-year yield, the highest level since 2019. How should you trade today's moves? Plus, Today marks two years since the market hit its pandemic bottom. The S&P has basically doubled since then, and some stocks have done even better, a little traded or faded on the names with some of the biggest gains. And later, Cannabis Combos, two multi-billion dollar deals in the cannabis market. The CEO of Cresco Labs will join us to talk about his move to buy Columbia Care. Weed Wednesday here on Fast Money. Oh, man. But we start off with troubling signs in the housing market. Demand for refinancing plunged 14% in the latest week, and new home sales unexpectedly dropped last month. The disappointing data comes on the back of spiking mortgage rates. The average on a 30-year fix now at 4.72%. And median home prices are up almost 11% from a year ago. So does the pressure on affordability mean the end of the housing trade? Tim, what do you say? Well, it, it, you know, the Fed will will not tell you this to your face, but one of the things that they target is the wealth effect and household, uh, you know, certainly asset base. And so the asset bubble that we have here is certainly uh, very much about housing as much as it is the stock market. And it makes the consumer feel better, makes them go out and spend. Look at Home Depot down, you know, over 3% today and trading essentially near uh, the lows after a little bit of a bounce. All of the housing stocks, the XHB. And, and we've started to see this and we started to see this really almost six months ago, but has kicked into overdrive as mortgage rates have moved higher. One thing to, to, to say here, and this is a day also, though, where we saw the 10-year spike up to levels we hadn't seen in almost three years, mm-hmm. then to fall, you know, finish on the lows down at 229. And, and really, there is some sense here that the 10-year is going to fluctuate. And if we start to think that the, that the Fed is going to move too quickly, it, it certainly could price in more recessionary dynamics, and that will help mortgages. Bottom line is, uh, houses are not affordable in this country now. They're not going to be more affordable when you have a mortgage rate over 5%, and that's going to be painful. Yeah, or, or Guy, do consumers feel okay because the stock market is still all right for now at least? Yeah, they absolutely do, no question about it. But to Tim's point, I mean, the higher rates go, the more difficult this trade is going to be. I'll say this, you know, he mentioned Home Depot. Stock's down 25% since that high. I think it was in November, mm-hmm. uh, north of $400. 305 to me is a really interesting level of support where we broke out from in June. But in terms of these KBH numbers, listen, they missed on the top and bottom line. Not good. People will point to valuation. I don't think you can really look at these names in terms of valuation. I think a KBH has a little more room to downside. Stock's already sold off about 35 percent since its recent high. I mean, we're in some dangerous waters here. I will say this quickly. What you saw today, again, I mean, a 10 basis point move in the bond market over the course of a day. I mean, that's think about how crazy that is. Uh, when you talk about volatility in the bond market, and if the market, in my opinion, which is on, I think, next leg lower, you'll see a flight to quality in the form of bond yields will knock yields lower, which will further, again, in my opinion, this yield curve, which continues to flatten out. 
you can't buy home builders in a rising rate environment with slowing growth. There's going to be less mortgages. There's going to be less home equity loans. So you can't buy Home Depot or Lowe's. The entire complex, I think, is for sale. And I agree with Guy. I think you're going to be looking at a recession. People don't buy homes in a recession. It's, it's that simple. In a one-word answer, no, you can't be buyer. But is that the assumption that we're going to be making here, that, that you stick a fork, as we said in the in the Chiron and TV in language, stick a fork in the housing trade because a recession is on the way? But if there's an economic slowdown, Bonwin, can you actually say that the whole space, the whole sector is a sale? I mean, there is a line of thinking that if people say in place in their homes, they will fix up their homes. And so maybe a Lowe's mm-hmm. and a Home Depot do okay because if they could take out a home equity, if they could take out a home equity. Sorry, Bono. It, so, OK, so is that I mean, so is that the crux of it, Bonwin? No, that's fine. I mean, I think Steve makes a good point, and I hear you on the home equity lines. I, I don't think Lowe's or Home Depot would be the way that I would play it. It would be more on the operator side. A name like Blackstone, you're still seeing rents continue to grow. Housing affordability is out of reach, but they're expert operators. So, like, no, the entire complex isn't gone, but I want to be at the upper echelon of said complex, and that is how I would play it. Totally on the same page in terms of Home Depot and Lowe's, access to credit. I mean, at at what point does a consumer catch a break here? I mean, I I know we're all going to point to savings rates and point to the strength of the consumer there. But if you're being squeezed on inflationary pressures from... uh, uh, from energy and commodities, and now in terms of housing and credit tightening, at some point the shoe has to drop, and I think all the panelists are pointing to it and saying, keep an eye on this two tens or even five tens, which is now inverted, and, and, and let's make a, you know, an, an estimated guess in terms of where we're going in terms of strength of the economy. But the housing market, I do believe, is on the precipice of having some real pain. I do think names like KBH, et cetera, have sold off so much that maybe you play the contrarian view. But I do think that very upper echelon aspect of operating within the rental space, I still think there's room uh, uh, for cash flow there. Speaking of KB, we see the uh, stock down 4% in the after-hour session. Uh, we got an earnings alert here. Uh, it reported results after the bell here. CNBC's Diana Olick has got the numbers. Diana. Well, Melissa, it was a miss on the top and bottom line, CEO Jeff Metzger said in the release. While we grew our revenues 23 percent as the quarter progressed, supply chain issues intensified and an already constrained construction labor force was further stressed, which extended our build times and delayed completions and planned deliveries. He added that they would continue to work on navigating through these challenges. Now, the average selling price of a KB home rose 22 percent to over $486,000. And we got the national new home sales numbers figures out this morning. And for February, median prices were up 10 percent year over year. So builders still seem to think they have some pricing power despite the sharp jump in mortgage rates. Uh, KB also reported an 8% rise in inventories. Nationally, new home inventories are at a six-month supply. That's considered a balanced market, while existing home supplies, they're at less than two months. And one analyst today on the national numbers suggested maybe the home builders are overbuilding. I mean, who would have thought that when we talk about the record low supply we've had over the last couple of years, Melissa? Overbuilding. Wow. I would not think of that. Yeah. (laughs) Diana, thank you. Diana Olick. Diana mentioned a whole litany of reasons why the the housing trade is a difficult one. Labor, supply supply chain, rising mortgage rates. But this is just one way in which the consumer is getting pinched, right? I mean, Bonwin had had another, you know, few examples. Food costs, drug costs, you know, everything costs. Auto financing, by the way. Yeah. 
guy. Very connected. Right? Auto financing, once upon a time, it was always 0%. Now, it's more than 2%. So you're paying more for a car no question in about every it. way. <laughs> We're paying more for everything in every way. Without, and I think that's a great point. We've got to bring it up. And we've talked about the HYG. You know, if you want to get sort of down the credit rabbit hole, you've got to continue to watch what that does over the next couple of weeks. You know, it's interesting. Bonowitz said contrarian trade. He's spot on with this one in terms of KBH. If you look at it, this time two years ago, the stock, I think, traded down to 15 bucks. Recent high, I think, in the spring of last year, 52 33 and a half for a lot of reasons, 50% retracement of that range makes sense. And we're probably going to see it tomorrow. So if you're looking just to trade and for trading opportunities, um, a lot's been taken out of this name already. You might want to get long KBH against that 33 and a half level, Mel. KBH, if you look at the, the gross margin and, and the outlook here, again, 26 27%, I think they would be heroes to get there. I think you look at all the pressure. Lumber futures, remember we talked about lumber last year and, and the stratospheric moves. Well, uh, they're back up about 25% off of where they had settled back down. And, and there's no sign to me that this is going to alleviate. So if you look at the home builders, yeah, you know, order backlog up 29%. Uh, the average and the median price now for 22, they've targeted to be. 490 and 500,000. That's a lot. And you tack an extra 100 basis points of a mortgage rate on top of that, mm-hmm. and, and it's significant. So uh, home builders have been lagging for the last six months. There's no reason to go out and get it on a trailing basis. These numbers actually, uh, the EPS doesn't look bad, but I- I'm not chasing that trade. You have to go way back long term on the technicals to find the support in KBH. But it is right around here to Guy's point and to Bonowin's point. You could probably pick it up around the low 30s. So, Bonwin, if you were to extend what you're saying about the consumer and, and how they're being pinched on all sides, I mean, how about just trades like Nike retailers? You know, are, are we going to see difficulties in those trades, too, in your view? Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, that, um, that consumer discretionary space uh, will probably feel some pain as well. Um, a name like Nike, Adidas, and, and some of those, like, top-tier names, I prefer to rotate into, like, a TJX, something that's just a little bit lower cost uh, price point, um, Dollar Tree or Dollar General. I mean, they have had some of their challenges, but things like that, I think, have a bit lower beta and hold up a little bit uh, better in terms of elasticity of demand. I think Nike also has, you know, some decent exposure to China and in Europe, and there's uncertainty there. Uh, I just don't really see a lot of catalysts that, that make me want to jump in. Um, and to the other guy's points, I mean, uh, KBH is a name that I own, uh, I acquired recently, um, and it's really just about risk-reward. I don't think that the backdrop sets up well. I've, I've kind of stated my points about the consumer. But at some point, you will see one of these head fake rallies, which we've continued to see. I mean, I embarrassed myself, but you've got to trade, and the market presents opportunities two ways. And if you want to kind of step in and establish a position, I think there, there are points and times to do that. I think simply, again, I'd go back to that semi-shirt from housing to semiconductors because that was down 2.5% today. That's the ultimate cyclicality for this economy, and I think the market felt it today. All right. Our next guest warns housing is creating a tougher situation for the Fed. Michael Schumacher is head of macro strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Michael, great to have you with us. Is the Fed Is the Fed watching mortgage rates effectively spike. I mean, the rise in mortgage rates that we've seen has been astronomical. You also sent our producer, Stephanie Lansman, an ad, a Toyota ad, a financing, and that's one that I was referring to in our discussion earlier, where financing is now 2.49%, which is a lot more for the consumer that's used to 0% financing for for so many years. Does the Fed look at this and think this is going to be strain on the economy? Yeah, it's interesting, Melissa. The Fed is looking at so many indicators right now. I can probably have 
a very difficult time keeping track of them. You've got mortgage rates, Ukraine, commodity prices. Oh, by the way, just garden variety inflation and the reopening from the pandemic. It's extremely difficult to track all these things and interrelate them. So I think from the Fed's perspective, and Chairman Powell has acknowledged this, a big dose of humility for the Fed and for all of us in the market is what's needed. So very, very tough to plot a single path forward. We were talking about the R word earlier, recession, and you say 50 percent chance of recession um, in late 2023. Why, why the lag in your call? And is 50 percent for you a high number? I think the idea of having a soft landing was always going to be really challenging. And when you think about the additional, I hate to call it a wrinkle, but complication of the Russia invasion over the last month and the surge in commodity prices, it makes it super difficult for the Fed to calibrate. So thinking about it pretty simply today, inflation, 8% round numbers over the last year, unemployment really low, interest rates going up a bunch. How can the Fed really figure out exactly where to land that ship? going to be really tough. And that's why we think that the chance of a recession is going up almost by the day. Mixed metaphor notwithstanding on landing the ship. By the way, I dig that, Michael. You know, you mentioned um, your work is tremendous. Spaceship, spaceship. You said you know, back half of 2023. Um, and it's interesting because I think the market is pricing in rate cuts right around that time. Can you speak to that? Sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the market's pricing and rate cuts starting from right around the end of 23 through 24 and 25. And it's this old idea that Fed tends to overshoot. And I think the chance of that probably is getting higher, too, by the day. You'd say, well, if calibrating the soft landing is tough, it could be the case the Fed hikes one or two times too many. And, in fact, that's what happened in the last cycle. Recall the last hike was December of 2018. A few weeks later, Chairman Powell walked it back. About six months after that, the Fed was cutting again. So, it's the same sort of idea here. Now, the market's not pricing a lot of easing, 25, 30, 40 basis points, something like that. But it's a really good point. The market is pricing easing starting toward the end of 23. Now, Michael, in terms of your um, rate forecast for the 10-year yield, you're seeing as high as 2.75% of the 10-year by mid-year, but then you see rates actually going down. Can you give us sort of the backdrop um, for the going down part of it if the Fed is now talking about multiple 50 basis point hikes? Well, if it's multiple 50 basis point hikes, then we're talking about rates going up. But the path for rates to go down would be exactly the scenario we just talked about a couple minutes ago or a minute ago with the Fed cutting, let's say, toward the end of 23. In that case, I think the path is yields go up a decent amount over the next few months. Ten-year rate goes up to, call it high twos, maybe low threes toward the end of this year, and then starts to come down after that. But it's going to be a really tough path if the Fed throws in a couple 50 basis point moves. The market simply is not prepared for that. Hey, Michael, it's Tim. So perversely, is less demand both in housing and in other parts of the economy, uh, is this somewhat good news? Obviously for the Fed that has significant issues on where there have been bottlenecks and and this reopening kind of hysteria. What do you think about that? Yeah, it really is the point of tightening for the Fed. So when you consider why does the Fed tighten, it's not because it wants to be a bunch of bad people. The Fed really does want to cut demand. So, so far, it's only done the 125 basis point hike. It's talked up a lot of additional hikes and other fun things. But the Fed does want to take demand down. So as we see a reduction, whether it's in housing or other areas, that's the Fed's goal. Now, the speed and the magnitude, that's a different question. Can the Fed really pull that off? But as far as the direction, that's how the Fed does want it to go. So that is good news. 
So, Michael, last question here. You say the chance of recession rises each and every day. If the, if the Fed actually front loads the rate hikes, does that chance get lessened? I mean, it, it, does it rise by a smaller increment every single day? Is there a way for the Fed to actually avert that outcome? There's not a really great path for the Fed to try and limit recession risk. As far as going big, going early, so going 50 basis points in May, another 50 basis points pretty soon, would that really help? It might potentially cut the upside risk in inflation, but I don't know that it really changes the ultimate question of how do you calibrate all these issues that are coming together. No one, including the Fed, has seen inflation like this in the U.S. in 30 or 40 years. Pandemic, that's a once-in-a-century thing. On top of that, a shooting war. That's a lot to pull together. So does throwing in a 50 or two really change the calculation? I think it doesn't. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So uh, it is different different this time around, Steve. So the way I looked at the way Michael just left off uh-huh. with all the, the litany of things that are going on now is my reasoning for the Fed to sort of take the foot off the gas. But I could play both sides of it. The next downturn, they're going to need some ammo. They don't have any ammo right now. There's nothing to cut. So they're going to need to bolster that right. to create the cutting possibility. Hence the box we always talk about, Bonoin. <laughs> the Fed has created a box for itself, and now it's trapped. Yep. I mean, there's, there's one path forward. That's higher rates, and that's a lighter balance sheet. And to Steve's point, they have to take those steps in order to give themselves some wiggle room. So if there is a risk, it is to them overshooting, but then being equipped with tools necessary to help abate risk. So me being the eternal optimist, we'll ask this question (laughs) once again. And I say that, of course, sarcastically. Isn't it possible that rates go higher in the market's view that as the Fed is really doing its darndest to fight inflation? And that is a good thing for the markets. Guy, Dami, I'll go to you on that. You can make that argument. I know you're being facetious, another word that I'm unable to spell. But yeah, I think the optimists will look at that and say, hey, for the first time in, since basically Paul Volcker, they're trying to get in front of something they should have been in front of three and a half years ago. And that's a way to look at it through the optimistic lens. Again, I, you know, you just heard Michael talk about it. They have no, there's no shot that they thread this needle zero. And quite frankly, if Jerome Powell were smart and if he wants to get on the good graces of people like me, not that that matters, he should show up on Saturday Night Live with Justin Timberlake and they could do like the Fed in the box thing. It would be brilliant. <laughs> I'll produce that, by the way, Melms. All right. <laughs> so noted. We've got a news alert we got to get to on Nikola. Shares jumping after hours after the company said it started production on its commercial truck this week. The comments made at an analyst event. Nikola previously expected to start full production by the end of the second quarter. They're actually producing trucks, Tim. Well, uh, that's great. But I, I think there's been so many missteps or certainly misdirections, head fakes in terms of the headlines here. I, I, I I know we've been disappointed by Rivian's production dynamics, uh, and we could have dropped Ford and GM into that last conversation. But if I'm going to be playing the EV space, why wouldn't I go grab the companies that actually can survive in a difficult capital markets environment and are trading it seven or eight times? I think it's Ford and GM. It's not Nikola for me. Coming up, high energy, crude prices jumping, and that is fueling gains in another area of the market. The details next. Plus, today marks two years since the pandemic blows in the market, so we are tackling some of the biggest movers since then. Trade it or fade it, fade it. America's favorite game is coming your way. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast in two. 
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil up more than 5% today. Prices moving back above 150, 15 bucks a barrel as pipeline disruptions hit Russia and Kazakhstan. The rise in energy prices over the past month helping fuel the transport and resource trade. Take a look at the one-month gains in rail stocks. So can this trade keep uh, chugging along? Uh. Choo-choo. Tim. Yeah, I think so. Uh, again, UNP is a name I'm long, a name that I think continues to see higher margins. Obviously, transport rates go higher. They have higher costs as well. But if you look at the rails and you look at CSX and you look, these are businesses that I think through the worst of the COVID dynamic and demand destruction became better businesses. Again, that's when companies get better. And I think if you look at the margin profile of these two companies, uh, they continue to go higher. I, at some point, higher prices are certainly going to be a demand destruction dynamic. But for now, I think the rails have uh, really a sweet spot. And energy prices as we talked about here, aren't going down anytime soon. I just quickly want to highlight, you know, Hess at an industry conference this week took paid to take off the upside collars or, you know, essentially they sold upside calls uh, on their oil hedge. They, they think oil prices are going a lot higher. Saudi Aramco pointed out that they actually have expansion coming online, but not till 2026. This is an environment where I, I just think we're going to continue to see commodity prices move higher. Bonoin. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm picking between the two or playing the would-you-rather game, I definitely w- agree with Tim in terms of rails as opposed to the outright energy exposure. It's just too volatile, and the, the geopolitical risk is too much of a driver in terms of price action there. I, I will disagree a little bit. I'd prefer uh, CSX or NSC just because of the debt load. So if I'm going to play the rails, I'd rather be in those two names vis-a-vis UMP. I thought Bonwin always played by the rules, but apparently he doesn't, Guy. He hasn't he hasn't He's learned. by his rules. I, I think that's cool. Go for it, Bonwin. <laughs> isn't learned. There's only one person on the show that calls for would you rather. That's Guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Guy, you like the rails. I never do. Listen, I do like the rails. Tim's spot on with this. They, they win in this environment. They've become, think about how, the efficiencies they've, uh, they've been able to master over the last five years. So the rails win. But in terms of the resource trade, we haven't really run that far from this one. Alcoa today Alcoa made a 15-1-5 year high, traded north of 95 bucks. We haven't seen that since I think the spring of 07. And OIH, another one. Listen again, I say it all the time. I'm wrong often, uh, but this one we've gotten right. OIH, we said it would pull back to 250. Actually, got back to 253 on March 16th. 
back on the horse. I think it easily trades north of 300. The energy trade is far from being over, in my opinion. Now, I, I agree with that. I don't think it's I don't think it's over, but it does feel like it's a crescendo, uh, if you will. I, I think that we're moving out. Well, I know that we're moving out of the winter at the very least. And so the weather is going to warm up. So that might take the edge off. Granted, the news headlines that are coming out aren't getting any better. I just feel like we're a little toppy. But isn't supply, I mean, the supply coming off the market far offsets. Yeah, but there's well, other places I, I, to get supply. Way, well, I, we're going into peak demand season, though. I mean, they drive, they, drive, the, US, the U.S. Driving. driver is 10% of the, the world's auto demand. But what or really, half of the 20% of the, the But, but I, think, I think Germany and I think the rest of the European countries getting their natural gas from Russia, I think that was the, a, a big catalyst to the upside. This is not about heating. It's not about driving. It's about heating. Yeah, I just think that when you look at, first of all, oil is now 26 percent off of where it come back and it fell 27 percent. It's now 26 percent, which means it's actually only halfway back up into that uh, that that new price spike. I think we're going to spend a lot of time north of one hundred twenty five dollars. There's no spare capacity out there. Mentioned Saudi Aramco, mentioned OPEC plus. Russia was a big part of that OPEC plus and some of that flexibility that's gone. This is coming from a person who believes that WTI crude is going to be at sixty five dollars to eighty five dollars by year end. So and I was on the, on the low side because I think markets, as they do with everything else, they overshoot in both directions. So Wait, I think we're going to overshoot. You think, you think we're going to be at 65 bucks a barrel by year end this yeah. year? It's a long time. A lot of green, as they say in the golf. Uh, it's, it's, wow. it's, 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 that's yeah, aggressive. That's a lot of wood. Yeah, it's wow. very aggressive. All right. You're on the clock. We, we got it on tape. <laughs> we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Two years ago, stocks hit rock bottom. But a lot's changed since then. So, should your portfolio? A game of trade it or fade it is next. Plus, Buffett Berkshire beat. The chart you've got to see. And our own Tim Seymour is breaking it down. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money Markets, taking a big breather after a strong seven-day run. The three major indices all down more than a percent with financials and healthcare leading the losses. The S&P posting its biggest drop in nearly two weeks. So this is the end of the mini rally we've seen over the last several days. Is this a really a resumption of what we are going to be in for, Bonowin? Yeah, I think the resistance to the downside. Um... You know, we had essentially, you know, with the whole Ukraine-Russia thing, there was so much 
positive catalysts or perceived positive catalysts? Were there, was there going to be some um, resumption of peace talks? Were they going to kind of strike a deal in terms of them not being involved in NATO? Uh, China came out with news saying that they were going to be more accommodative to the market. So there was reason to kind of re, to retrench and buy back in. I think the Fed overshoots or overshadows all of that, and I definitely think the risk is down to the right. I mean, we had Mester, Loretta Mester, joining the 50 basis point party guy, along with Mary Daly of the San Francisco Fed. So it seems like that party is getting that camp, the 50 basis point camp is getting fuller and fuller. Thank goodness, because, you know, again, they're three, three and a half years late to the party. And I think I really believe they're going out there and they're saying these things to try to condition the market that, quite frankly, at least last week, for whatever reason, doesn't want to believe them. And Again, I'm not thinking anything catastrophic is going to happen here, but we're in a, I believe, an earnings cycle. We're going to see decelerating earnings against evaluations that now matter in an environment where the Fed's rightly hiking. So I think the market's going to feel pain in the short to medium term. One could push back on this, but I'm going to say that the Fed has successfully told the market rallied last week as they as they they hiked and also gave you a lot of ammunition. I think we all are probably in the tactical camp of markets are going to trade lower here, but they have told you what they're going to do. And I think they've been pretty successful right now. I don't like the long term track record. All right. Well, today, by the way, also marks two years since the pandemic bottom. By March 23rd, 2020, the S&P had dropped nearly 34 percent from its record close just a month earlier. Since then, it's climbed nearly 94 percent. And a lot of names have come along with it. The biggest winner, Tesla, up more than a thousand percent. But it's not the only name that's been, that's beaten the market. So do you stick with these big winners? We'll find out with a game of what is Trade it? it or fade it. Thank goodness. I know you're wondering what that was. All right. Let's start off with Moderna up more than 530 percent since the pandemic bottom. Guy, trade it or fade it? Yeah, I'm going to play the game correctly. I'm going to say trade it. And you mentioned how much it's up. I'll tell you, it's down 75 percent since it traded 497 or something uh, last fall. Now, look, this is a trading call specifically, but you can actually make for the first time in a while a pretty compelling case for Moderna on valuation, not only in price to earnings, but in terms of price to revenue as well, or where it's trading in terms of revenue. So I like Moderna here. I think it could bounce. It's bounced off of 117. I think it's got another 25 to 30 percent upside from here. Steve, what say you? I'm going to say the opposite because that's the way we play this game. That so is not a, the way we play the game. Uh, that, that makes it sound rigged. I know. This game is not rigged. Well, you're not going to have us both. The, the audience knows they're not dumb. Sound they know rigged. that I'm not going to say trade it if you Guy just said trade it. it. You watch. We're anyway, going to get go two on. people on the same side. Go ahead, talk, fade talk. it. So th- right. this stock has been in a declining trend line since August of 21. So for me, we're not breaking out of that declining trend line. And with the vaccines off the front page, Russia on the front page, this one is a, is a faded, not a traded. Next up, American Express up more than 150 percent in two years. I don't know what Tim is going to say. No, the first one Tim, you don't know. Trade it. Trade it or fade it? I'm going to trade it. I'm going to trade it. I wish it was two weeks ago. I definitely was going to trade it because the stock has bounced nicely along with the entire market. But if you listen to the recent investor day, one of the things to be excited about with AXP is their focus on the small, medium-sized business, the SMBs, and and actually having them integrate their their payments and their banking. I think they will grow significantly higher than at least their two biggest peers. I think the high-end spend is still alive. I bet you Bonowin's going to say something, not trade it. I was going to say zip it, but that's too aggressive. I'm going to play the game correctly. <laughs> I'm going to fade it. it. I'm playing oh. by the rules. I'm playing by the rules. Fade it. 
Uh, listen, I think Tim makes a lot of good points. The SMB, I will say that, I mean, that is correlated to the overall economy, and I think uh, credit crunches make it a bit tough for that consumer. Uh, outside of that, I think this is really a technical play for me. It, to Tim's point, this has shot, made a beeline from 145, 150 back to around 180 or 190 where it closed today. I just don't think there's a lot of upside with a lot of the analysts calling for about a 2, 205 price target. So it's just a risk reward. I'm fading it in the short term. All right. Then there's Amazon. I saw huge demand since the pandemic, up 77% in the last two years. Tim? For trade. Trade. I'm going to trade it. I'm going to trade it. And, and just because I'm first doesn't mean it had to be a trade. I, I can't wait till we open with a fade. Um, but a- Amazon, to me, one of the great winners of, of COVID because they should be, because they were there for us. Uh, the stock actually certainly pulled forward a lot of demand. The e-commerce trends going forward, though, continue to be in, in Amazon's favor. In fact, the stock really has underperformed with the exception of the last three weeks. Believe it or not, uh, this is a company that's not an awful valuation, certainly relative to itself. Uh, I'm trading this one. Guy? Yeah, I'm with Tim. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I just wanted to get Steve. I just wanted to get Steve mad. No, fade it, Mel. I'm going to play the game correctly. Listen, a couple weeks ago, they announced the stock split. We said the stock has room to 33.50. Look at where it traded today. This is a tactical call because in the back half of the year, I think Amazon can go significantly higher. But we've gone up $500 effectively since then. I think Amazon could back and fill, as they say, to a 29.50 level, Melms. All right, next up, DocuSign, another big stay-at-home game. Sorry, did I jump, did I jump Can I on mute Grasso? Can I have the power to mute his I mic? could talk in your mic. The stock that has given up so much of it's not if I kick you off. Steve, uh, what do you say? Trade I'm going to say trade this one. So the way I look at this, yes, it's been hammered. Yes, the valuation was inconceivable the most. But if you go back pre-pandemic, we traded down to that level again. This, this stock is a better stock, better company than back then. Trade it. Bonowin. I feel good about this, by the way. Trade Bonowin. it or fade it. Trade it, Mel. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons that, 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 uh, that, that, that's, that Steve pointed out, but I will also say, aside from the technical backdrop, it's just cheaper across the board. And what's cheaper by about half is the PEG ratio, what you're actually paying for growth. That was the whole catalyst, momentum, and thesis behind owning this stock in the first place. Now you're paying 50 cents on the dollar for it. I'll buy it right here. I will say it one more time. This game is not rigged or this choreographed. This is a much better game now. You're Coming welcome. <laughs> Great game. <laughs> We're Great rolling game. into the pot stocks with Cresco Lab CEO Charlie Bactel. He's laying out the big marijuana merger his company just ate. The details ahead. Plus, our chart of the day, the stock outperforming the broader market since November. We'll give you the name next when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. That is right. We've got a chart of the day. And this one is brought to you from, by our very own Tim Seymour. So, Tim, what's your chart? Love me some charts. Doing some scrolling. Look, yeah, as the yield curve flattened, was looking at financials, was looking across the financial space. And guess, what's, guess what is the number one weighted stock in the XLF, the financials ETF? It's Berkshire Hathaway. So the man we love to love, Warren Buffett, and, you know, Mr. Middle America, who has been uh, one of the best, if not the best long-term investor, has been outperforming the S&P dramatically. So 25% on a one-year basis. But since the Fed really ratcheted up their inflation talk, if you look at that chart from November 15th, it's outperformed the S&P 
by 30 percent. And, and some of this is a function of, first of all, excellent exposure to an Occidental Petroleum and some of the resources trades, but also the insurers and, and folks that are actually passing on a lot of these higher prices, very well exposed to your, your Heinz and some of your, uh, call them consumer staples, that actually have some pricing power in here. And I know have been defensive, even though you know that craft is, is not an easy valuation. So Berkshire Hathaway, again, uh, it makes you wonder what the financials would be doing without it as an industry group. Um, is this a conglomerate for our times, Guy? <laughs> I think Blackstone, I think, well, I mean, it has been absolutely without question, but I think Blackstone's becoming that. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned without you, great song by, I believe, Nielsen, Tim, if I'm not mistaken. Without you. And I'm going to go without Berkshire Hathaway, and I'm going to go to Blackstone. (laughs) And Bono and Icebreaker got me thinking earlier, and I will tell you, major double bottom. We're about to break through a downtrend line from the recent all-time high. I think Blackstone over Berkshire. Hmm. Oh, there's a would you rather. Blackstone on over his own. Berkshire. On his own. Uh, Grosso, I didn't say that. that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You didn't say it, but you implied it. I think he said it. But I'll ask you, Grosso. I think he said it, like. and I think you should not be ashamed to say it. And, and, and I think the, the idea, if I think that energy is toppy, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Guy. So I, I, would I rather Guy? Blackstone. All right. Oh. <laughs> You forgot the whole game. It's mayhem. It's chaos here on the desk, Mel. Get control, please. Coming up, marijuana merger. We're rolling into the cannabis trade with Cresco Labs CEO Charlie Bactel. More on his big deal next. Plus, we're plugging into the options pits. Neo results on deck. And one options trader is making a big bet on this one. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A major merger in the marijuana industry today. Cresco Labs and Columbia Care announcing a $2 billion deal. The combined company will operate in 16 states plus Puerto Rico and D.C. within the next five years. Let's bring in Cresco Labs CEO Charlie Bactel to discuss the deal. Charlie, great to have you with us. Good to be with you, Melissa. Thank you. This gives you an enormous retail presence um, to your wholesale a presence that you already have. And talk to me about margins. Retail margins are better. How will the margins improve in an industry which is seeing margin compression across the board? You know, it's, it's a great question. And, and really, you know, the industry is experiencing price compression and that can lead to margin compression, except there's ways to there's ways to manage it. Right. And we, we manage margin compression through a couple of different ways. Uh, on the wholesale side of our business, it's why we have the brand portfolio structure that we do. So we have a good, better, best structure where we can meet consumers uh, where they want to be met. It allows us to sort of create the products with a margin profile that allows us to, to keep that durable. Um, but then also that's where that vertically integrated nature of having retail and your own products really helps protect uh, margins. Because, of course, if you're, if you're growing your own product, producing your own product and selling it on your own shelves... Uh, great defensible margins there. Charlie, it's Tim. Uh, congrats on the deal. Uh, talk about the timing of this deal at a time when I think people have been expecting M&A to get bigger and, and, and certainly higher frequency, bigger transactions. Um, this makes you the largest multi-state operator in the country. Uh, talk about timing. Talk about being a leader at a time when the industry at some point will have strategics coming in. Yeah, I think, I think you hit it on the head. For us, it was this is the time where you really you need to make the move it allows you to become the leader in the cannabis space. As you mentioned, this puts us there uh, from the perspective of revenue. But again, it also creates this footprint, right, that, that allows us access 
to all of the states that you want to have today and for tomorrow. So we've got growth in the footprint. And uh, as we were talking about a little while ago, with us and our branded product portfolio and, and retail acumen, now we can really expand our access to our own brands on our own shelves, uh, really continuing to drive growth, establish that leadership position with our, our number one set of brands, and also the largest retail footprint outside of the state of Florida. Um, protects margins, allows us to pursue that leadership position at a critical time prior to this inflection point where we get some federal reform here, which we all know is a matter of when, not if. So, Charlie, I was actually going to ask you about uh, the federal reform. If you look at all the stocks in the group, you, you've done a great job and all the stocks look the same way. They, they got decimated. So congrats on this deal. But when do you think that federal lifeline comes and what kind of a whiplash is it going to be when you could actually conduct banking like every other corporation in America? Look, it's, it's a great question. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's, it's reasonable to say it is more likely than not, I don't know how much, you know, more than a coin flip, that we're, we're, we're on the path to federal reform in the near future. Still optimistic that it can happen here in 22, um, potentially after primaries, around midterms. But the momentum is there, right? The conversations are happening in the offices that they need to happen in. And, and our goal and what we think our, 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 our sort of objective and our, our obligation as leaders of this, this organization is to put the pieces in place for us to establish this leadership position now, keep our heads down and execute the business. So when that inflection point does come, you know, it, it's, it's the most uh, significant dynamic catalyst uh, that this industry can have. Are you experiencing uh, a lot of inflation, Charlie, in your input costs, whether it be labor or, or other things? Are you passing on price increases to consumers? No, you know, if anything, we're, we're, we're taking the obligation to manage those, those sort of the pricing and still manage our margin profile internally, because really what needs to happen is prices need to come down for consumers. Um, that's going to be the biggest driver of that conversion from the illicit market consumer over to the regulated market. Uh, you know, we're seeing some inflation pressure in our inputs, but primarily where we're seeing it right now is in the consumer's <laughs> wall. So again, it, it's on us to make sure we're running efficient businesses so we can pass on, create and pass on savings uh, to the consumer base. So that sounds like further pressure on margins at this point. Again, it's further pressure on operations and the strategy of the business to make sure we can protect margins while also being able to, to, to produce an affordable product for consumers. Charlie, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Charlie Bechtel, Cresco Labs. Tim, uh, you like this deal. I'd like the deal. I'm long the stock in my ETF. I'm long it personally. And I like the fact that they now have eight states that they operate in that they've got more than 100 you know, million in, in, in revenues. In other words, they, they have a footprint that I think is very well balanced. Their wholesale business does mean that this is a CPG business that we're, we've all talked about. Everyone says they've got a brand. Um, this is the kind of insulation around margins. You're right to focus on margins because uh, the industry has been, I don't think it's been the federal argument and the lack of progress. I think it's been the margin argument that's pushed cannabis stocks in the last three or four months down. And I think that's the part that I think there's been a reset. I don't think investors should be investing for uh, the day you get that big federal headline. I think it's a great tailwind, but I think you should be investing in companies that continue to grow their top line and, and the addressable market for this industry will still be growing and leave it with a margin profile that I think is going to be at least as good as booze and, and other consumer products. I mean, Charlie, the interesting point that Charlie made, I think, was the this notion of migrating the consumer from the illicit market to 
the legal market, and therefore you have to keep margins down in order to compete with, because consumers have the, to pay taxes. The illicit market's yeah. running wild. They're not paying taxes. You know, this is the duality of making the, the essentially the perception of cannabis in this country is it's not an issue for anybody. It should be federally legalized, but it means the illegal market and the illicit market can run rampant. It is, uh, and that's also pushed down cannabis players everywhere. Coming up, electric options, NEO on deck to report earnings, and that's got option traders kicking the tires on this trade. How they're playing the name next, Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. EV maker NEO on deck to report quarterly results tomorrow. One option traders betting the report could spark a huge move in the stock. Tony Zhang joins us now with the action. Tony. Yeah, Melissa, with report of earnings tomorrow, currently NEO traded fairly actively today, 1.3 times the average daily volume. And the options are currently implying a fairly sizable 10.3% move versus the historical average we've seen over the last eight quarters of only 6.3%. And one fairly unusual trade where a thousand contracts of the April 18 and a half 26 strangle was purchased for a net debit of $1.51. So a long strangle is a bet on both direction and volatility, betting that direction can have a big move either to the upside or to the downside as much as 25% by the April expiration. So betting that we're going to see some big moves on NEO tomorrow. Wow. Uh, Guy, if memory serves, (laughs) NEO is the (laughs) end in your dawn trade. Dawn. Delta Dawn. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think another great song, by the way, Dawn Go Away, You're No Good For Me. And right now it hasn't been any good for me, but I'll tell you this. <laughs> they don't pay at halftime, Melms. And I get a funny feeling Neo's going to get off the mat like some of these other names have. So I'm in the 25 cent, 25% higher camp, Melissa. All right. Tony, thank you. Tony Zang for more options. Actually, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. NBC's Healthy Returns is coming up March 30th, featuring CEOs of Johnson & Johnson, Walgreens, and United Healthcare Plus, much more. Go to CNBCEvents.com to register. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Bono and Eisen. I'm going to be exposed to housing. I'm going to either get access to the premium operators or someone that has access to them. BX, Blackstone. Guy Adami. Yeah, my final trade is PSX, Mel, but real quick, Arnie Winkler, 15-year fan of Fast Money, passed away. His family uh, laid him to rest today, watching right now. Just condolences to the Winkler family. We have a huge impact on so many people. I just want to say, again, condolences on our behalf, Mel. Tim. Hess uh, paid $325 million to remove the upside hedges they have on oil. They're also giving money back to shareholders. They'll probably be doing buybacks. The energy sector is still a small part. Steve. Junseo, go on my chemical plates. Yes, Steve. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday 
and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. FedEx.